That's how it starts. The fever, the rage, the feeling of powerlessness that turns good men cruel. Welcome. I'm Andrew Dice. And I'm Stephen Colbert. And this is Batman v Superman by the Minute, a podcast devoted to rewatching BVS by the Minute, ultimate cut, one single minute at a time. And boy, what an ultimate minute we are dealing with here. Or minutes, I guess, as we've entered the unofficial Justice League teaser trailer. Yeah, all of the uh all of the BVS DLC characters. <laughs> uh season pass preview. Yeah. <laughs> Of what's coming. We've, we've gotten the flash checked off as Diana is scrolling through the LexCorp metahuman research files that Bruce Wayne has forwarded to her. And with the flash checked off, we have two more coming. We have an upside down V and a dot and a C. Let's get started with that C wink. The Tonga Trench, to be more precise. 21,000 feet under the ocean. 2400 hours and two minutes. Subject declining rapidly. All procedural interventions have failed. Outcome will be death. An unmanned drone welcomes Jason Momoa into the DCEU. <laughs> Officially, Flash had, had previously debuted. This is a 100% entry. I guess we had seen a poster of him. Right, this was not a review because he had lied outright lied for a while about whether or not he was cast, and then obviously this is three years before he would even appear in the Aquaman movie. Unite the Seven, yeah, and so, but yeah, this so he shot this you know years before even Justice League. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess this is the costume. Yeah, that is in the poster, right? Right, the, the one used in this sequence. Mm-hmm. This one was more. Uh, this this is where I'll say. What I, what I kind of alluded to before to Stephen off mic, which is I would have said these felt way more out of place for a Zack Snyder movie if we had not recently watched Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it completely changed my perception of where I wanted to say, this doesn't really feel like Snyder's, no, this kind of does fit. It may not have been, you know, it may not have been his idea to put these teases of future film projects or future movie characters here in the kind of fulcrum between, uh, you know, act two and act three of his movie here. The way that this is in here with the the music behind the action and the sort of individual setups um, and like not totally commercial, but, but definitely like itty bitty short films that are in here that are almost like small scale concept videos. Yeah for DC superheroes and this one having the kind of setup of this ship underwater that almost evokes the Titanic and then this massive hole in the side of it and then the flicker of the eyes from inside even just the way Jason Momoa the Aquaman the AQ I think um is what is his code name is here yeah. kind of emerges with the hair the essence of wetness with the uh <laughs> trident and and this the the trident which is we we expect that's coming from from when he starts to emerge, but then cut to this sort of sonic boom uh, escalation through the water that was like I think in terms of character teases, this one is I would say far and away the the most well executed. Yeah, well, and it's probably also partly because it's the one that and just the casting of Jason Momoa does that from the beginning, but it's the one that challenges expectations 
for the character <laughs> probably a little bit more than like flash or cyborg or wonder woman does because those are kind of like oh here's these characters you know and this one is like i mean you kind of have an impression of aquaman probably this is going to be sort of that but also maybe a little different <laughs> Yeah, true. What do you have to sell for the Flash? Well, he moves fast. What do you have to sell for Aquaman? Okay, well, now he's like a Pacific Island gladiator. <laughs> yeah. And is also possessed of full-blown superhuman movement. I don't know what you want to call it. Telekinetic. Yeah, the way he swims away, like the whole him and the trident is, you know, kind of whatever. But the the sonic boom as he takes off is kind of, I think the, the part of this is kind of like, oh, wow, that's a little bit different than I was anticipating. I think this was kind of the one where I was kind of, you know, elbowing the person I was in the theater with <laughs> and looking at me like, that's it, that's Aquaman. And then being like, that's crazy. <laughs> uh -huh. Very, you know, hesitant. But even like, even on top of that is, and I give credit to everybody involved uh, really in, in not only the casting and the costume design and, and character design and everything, you can still find my breakdown of these tattoos <laughs> online from the poster, but the way that this sequence goes from, you know, like as opposed to the flash where it's like, yes, he moves quickly and it's, it's fun the way they do that. And we can kind of read a bunch into it. But with this, the way that it's constructed, I mean, just the fact that it's underwater and, and filmed this way, it, it almost every part of it needs to be constructed to a more um, meticulous, intentional level. Mm -hmm. I, I said it evokes the Titanic wreck, a scary sensation for me. Yeah. Unknown terror, oppressive darkness, you know, otherworldly. Well, like you mentioned, it starts like with the I starts with the eyes and the idea of it being this deep sea, like I was just I was just just seeing something like this earlier today about the, all these uh these deep sea creatures that we like oil rigs and stuff are finding these things all the time where it's like, Oh, we had no idea this thing existed. And so whenever you're down somewhere like this, you're, you have the potential of, of discovering kind of some new freak show of nature that, that in the fact that you see these eyes glint and then it comes out this freak show of nature, Jason, is Jason Momoa. but then like you said, it evolves from this creepy, like ghost ship to creepy, is that a sea monster to a, a, like you said, like a gladiator reveal? He's got a trident. He's got the tattoos. He's got the, the, the like the bandolier and the, um, and the, the gauntlets or the, and then the, the gold on yeah, the, the arm. Exactly. Which that it's, it's like desaturated, but then you get the glint of the light on that, which reveals something a little bit more interesting than just like the leather. <laughs> and then, the camera backs up and he takes off. And it, so it kind of pivots up from ghost ship all the way up through into this superhero takeoff. And, and that's, it's like a pitch for the movie. Uh, maybe not the exact Aquaman movie that we got, but it's a pitch for a version of an Aquaman movie where these, the other ones feel more like, Oh, Hey, these are characters that happen. And this one's like, Oh no, this is, um, this is something that like, we're trying to sell you. Well, and the fact that he destroys the first drone mm -hmm. with this, you know, trident and then has that, burst as he starts to travel and then hits another one that takes out the second drone, which just opened up the door to, oh, you could not watch that and not grasp that there is something superhuman, preternatural about the way that he exists in water. Mm -hmm. it, it would have functioned the same way if he had stabbed the drone and it just ended there, but they add in these things that then just leave you with more to talk about. Of like, yeah, and then he did like the double thing. So it was like almost Superman-like. And then you set the stage of like, does he move through the water the way like Superman does? Because that's how I'm used to seeing him in the air. Well, I don't know. You know, we'll have to wait for the movie. And I don't know if this 
for everybody, obviously not for everybody that ended up being sold on the movie because it made a billion dollars, but it sold the idea, this guy knows what he's doing with this Aquaman. And I think what you were kind of alluding to, the way that he's introduced sells this spin on the character. Mm -hmm. That this went from being Aquaman is a punchline to like, is Aquaman like, so he's like a badass now? (laughs) Oh, so he's like a bad, he's like a bad dude. Well, it's funny because there's the joke about like, oh yeah, of course, Zack Snyder's Aquaman is jacked with tattoos and- and then, you know, that's inviting like, you know, robot chicken sketches or whatever, because it's, it's such a evoke, such a, a particular brand of like, oh yeah, that's like, if you were to Zack Snyder, like <laughs> if you were to Zack Snyder Aquaman, that's what you get. <laughs> but then, you know, then you take a breath and you think, yeah, actually, I kind of want to watch that. <laughs> like, or not you, like, I mean, we, 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 we're sold no matter what, but I'm saying the, the kind of cultural, like, oh, ha ha, like, the, of course, that's what Zack Snyder does, but then, you know, makes a billion dollars. So I don't know, maybe it works. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing more I can say about it. It's, it's so cool. It stands on its own. As I said, I think it's the best executed out of these. And at time of recording, uh, the most successful kind of pitch uh, for a lot of reasons. But I will credit Jason Momoa for selling this sequence as well as he does, knowing how incredibly hard it must have been to film this too. Yeah. Yeah. Because because actually, unlike the actual Aquaman movie, they shot this underwater. So he has to both move in a way that makes him look like he is graceful underwater and has strength, like when he's stabbing the trident. So that's hard to do underwater, but also he needs to look like he's not holding his breath <laughs> Like all those together is kind of, and also try to get your hair doing a little like sea creaturey squid deal. Right. Yeah, you got to bob your head a little bit back and forth without looking like you're bobbing your head back and forth. <laughs> and then this is now paired in my mind with that like infamous his like shaka when he's like on the edge of the pool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. which I think is <laughs> yeah, that's from this shoot. Uh, now tied to yeah. this. And obviously, it should go without saying at this point, it's concluded exactly on the thirty second mark of the minute. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I will say. It's because we just we just passed Aquaman. It is interesting because Wonder Woman has the logo on her belt um, and a little bit in her uniform. Flash, there's lightning. Presumably, if they if there's if they're calling him the Red Streak, maybe he's wearing a version of his suit and maybe is using a lightning logo. And uh, Aquaman has the I believe has the A on his belt in the shot here. Yeah, and he also has the triangles. Yeah, in the tattoos. So, so sure. Yeah. So yeah. So all of those are a little bit like, oh, did, did Lex Luthor give them their names and logos? Well, those are all present in their kind of costumes already. I'm not sure unless you've seen something. I'm not sure where the the cyborg one comes from. If we're gonna try to be generous and think this is more than you know, just kind of trying to get the logos in the movie. But I think I'd say that's the odd one out that I'm that I'm not 100% positive on where it came from. Although if it's Star Labs, presumably they've got something internally anyway. I remember it even standing out at the time, kind of being an unfortunate one because people were like, "What is that? Yeah, like what is that symbol?" And that's like that's Cyborg's logo, and they're like, "Cyborg has a logo." Yeah. I don't know. I'll open that to, up to the listeners too. If somebody has given a an intelligent explanation of what that is, or if there's if any attempt was made to actually explain it, because like you said, with Flash, there's more video. When we see Cyborg, he's obviously like I mentioned before, his folder is the biggest of them all. So, and there, and I think there's also more. It's not only it's bigger in size of in terms of megabytes, but I think it has more. Um, I don't know. It says tiny items. Okay, so it's not the biggest one, but um, in terms of items, it's the longest clip we yeah. Have. But anyway, I there it says there's ten things in here, and we're only watching the one clip. So I'm, to- I'm totally open to the possibility of Star Labs having uh, some additional reason for that. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, we're seeing him here. We're introduced. He is, let's say, 30% of a human body. Yeah. Also established a body horror level to the character that I don't think anybody anticipated. No one anticipated being introduced to Cyborg like this. Right. Just the thrill of seeing property of Star Labs, realizing that this is Vic, you know, this is uh, Silas Stone that we're being introduced to, that horrific injuries have happened to Vic. I think even 30% is a stretch, but bit of footage of Silas failing to save his son who is on the most jacked up version of life support I've ever seen before. Yeah. He, sh- he should be dead. I think we can say definitive. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously Justice League was shot after this, but Snyder keeps the, the continuity pretty, pretty consistent, but the, the lack of like the rest of his body, there's a lot of questions for me about like how, how it got to this point <laughs> because Silas would have had to get the body from the hospital and then presumably like, it's not like this was all missing. It must have been <laughs> even removed a, further from what was, from what was the, you know, the state after the crash. I don't know. There there's it. The, the body is in enough of a state that it's not only, like you said, there's the body horror. It also introduces like a lot of a Frankenstein. And I'm saying Frankenstein in terms of Dr. Frankenstein, because you know Frankenstein is the doctor, not the monster, right? God. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it, it really gives, gives Silas Stone that level of like, wait, this, they're saving your son, and then there's, what are you doing that's a little bit more, I don't want to say more, but different. <laughs> it is communicated really well, too, in the same way that the we were talking about how they are setting up a lot here, even in just these little bits that it is dehumanizing for Vic. Yeah. Silas with, you know, even the way he does the introductions. Well, and the, and the wall at when it starts is horizontal. So we don't even, he comes into view. So we get to hear Silas starting off in this casual, starting off the clip. And then it, we're like, what's, what's on the, wait, what the hell? <laughs> the way that when he says, you know, everything's failed, the outcome will be death. And then we get him in the scrubs. He's defeated. His intellect is defeated. Yeah. They're they're specifically framing it as his scientific attempt to keep this test subject alive is failing. That's like such a good way of setting up, you know, wh- whatever ends up being the story in Justice League. It's very true. It, it communicates the, the real most important thing about Silas and Vic uh, instantly. Yeah. And uh, probably not best to get into it this episode or even this, this podcast. I think there'd be more to talk about this um and justice league by the minute one day but i do think it's interesting to point out just with the the lack of of body for cyborg that one of the like that's a very intentional thing that snyder and terrio and uh and to some extent i don't know how involved he was with his introduction in batman v superman but ray fisher was really involved with terrio and the writing of the character for justice league and one of the things that was a big deal when when they went and changed um, what they did with Justice League was that Jeff Johns like reshot the Justice League version of this scene to make sure it specified that more of his torso was intact, specifically like a little bit below the waist, was something that I was not aware of. But um, th- I guess there's a, a big issue in the comics with the emasculation of of Cyborg and the question of just how much of his body is missing. And it gets into there, there's a racial component as well, but the question of like how much of a how much of a man's body do you need left to be considered a man, <laughs> and in in into who, yeah, in in what way, yeah, politically, and and that was an, and so and so the fact that that's all that's left of him on the wall, 
that's not just like, oh man, he's, they really, he got, you know, he's really hurt. This is a lot more than that because what this says is when he is restored, what is he? Does he get to choose what that, and so that's all part of the character and the journey that it's setting up here. I didn't realize that until, you know, after knowing the behind the scenes stuff with Justice League and seeing Justice League, but then going back and watching this clip here, you can see like, oh yeah, no, that is, like, why is there so little of Cyborg there? Like, you didn't have to have it be, like, wh- why is his torso even there? Why is it, why is it not just his brain? And I, th- and I think that that's very much, it's setting up that idea of, of his identity and, and who he, who he chooses to be and whether he has the right to, you know, that, and that's his whole, his whole arc in justice league. So that's such a key, a key thing about what's going on here as well. I think. Yeah. And I, I credit, well, this scene making me thirsty for diet, Dr. Pepper, just kidding. <laughs> I have Silas Stones and pepper, man. I, I, you know, I, who knew, but there you go. I think this scene along with some, uh, you know, specific comic storylines, but really I credit this scene and this depiction of Cyborg as kind of permanently shifting my perception of, I did not used to think of Cyborg as Robocop. Yeah. It was not the same function of, oh yeah, I mean, he became cybernetically enhanced. This is saying, okay, so human becomes Cybernetic this is so funny that this is like Miles Dyson yeah. <laughs> on screen as I'm talking. I was going to say we, we haven't mentioned that yet, but like, yeah, that's because that was a reveal here also. But that's such a perfect Joe Joe yeah. one, yeah, that this is Miles Dyson, the, the creator of the, the man who unlocked Skynet's true potential in Cyberdyne systems and creating the Terminators. Anyone can listen to our Justice League sequence to see the homage to the <laughs> beep. Looking over that and sticking purely in the realm of Robocop. Where is the line in how much of you is artificial and how much of you is real, where it actually goes from being cool to at least some people to nobody would want this. This is now in the realm of, if not horror, then very uncomfortable morality and ethics. And for them to just say, that is where we're starting. Right. Because even like you're, you're talking about RoboCop, even that he's still got one of his hands, right? So he can feel like have it like, but he's missing, um, like he's got his heart. <laughs> it's like in terms of organs, what yeah, he's got organs. his lungs, his heart, and his brain. It's a hard image to have up on my monitor. Yeah, and the way that this is characterized of all of the ways to depict him stuck to this board. Mm-hmm. So it's he is com- beyond dehumanized. What does it mean for in this day and age, in this type of story, for it to be a person of color that it's being vivisected like this is thankfully, well, most of where the writing of this character was intended to go um, and at least, you know, grapple with. But then beyond that, okay, what does it mean for the story that it's his father doing this? Fick is not awake. Mm -hmm. This This is a science problem for his father. This is like, I think 45 seconds total. We don't get all of it quite here in this minute, but it is cool to see how much of this is communicated right out of the bat. And for them to say, what do you need to know about Cyborg? They're going for it. Yeah. Because you even got part of his face is missing. I didn't even, obviously, because he's got that when he, the full version. So I'm wondering if that's already like what he's already got going on there. There's a, that, that's what's so crazy about this is that you see enough to like recoil, but the closer you look, the more you're like, wait, that is yeah it, it, there's it, it really it, it's you can't examine the image more and more and more without questioning like is that even a is there even a a bot like a person left to save there and obviously they're you know when he totally. comes back 
but considering like the capacity of the mother box, you know, was he, was he medically dead? Like did the mother box jumpstart his brain to like, I don't know. That's, we don't need to break that all down in this, but I mean, you can't look at this image that it presents and not question like, how is this even definitely not ethical? (laughs) Right. But how is it possible? Let's put too fine a point on it. We've gotten Diana who is immortal. That's what we learned. She's very old. We got the flash who is very fast. We've got Aquaman lives under the ocean. And then we have, I don't think you could have anything less here and still be recognizable as a person. Mm-hmm. If there was any more of his body missing, you couldn't define that it used to be a man or Vic, you know, like let alone a, a recognizable person. Mm-hmm. There is just enough of one arm so that you understand you're looking at an upper body and that's it. Mm-hmm. Damn, Joe. I mean, Silas. <laughs> and then we get this, <laughs> the, minute, the minute ends. With Silas saying the outcome is going to be death, everything's broken. To him starting a new recording, saying, uh, "I'm suspending all clinical protocols and looking at." I have no idea how I even started to explain this. Or you want to talk about things that you show an audience that they are going to have no idea yeah. what they are even being shown. Well, especially talking about this movie. And the discord, I mean, this is the reason the podcast exists, right? Because the, the, the movie comes out and you would think there'd be like weeks of, or months or whatever of going frame by frame and, and picking out these Easter eggs and stuff like that and being like, did you, that in that scene is, and like, it, 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 there was just none of that. It was all debate over is the movie good or bad. But yeah, you get to this and it's like, what is that? And what does it mean? All right, I'm bringing out the glowy b- breathing box. Yeah. that <laughs> It is. There's like a level to it that is silly. It's it's funny that even in the even in this movie with aliens, reborn people to just cut to okay, fine. <laughs> well, it's perfect. I brought out the it's it's the perfect smash cut too, though, because he's like Argh! and he throws the thing at the camera and the camera shakes, and then it smash cuts to him taking off his his uh, it's I don't know, it's a hair net. He doesn't have hair, but he takes off his hat. Surgical and, cap, and, yeah. and surgical cap, and just like rubs his head, just a, just in a sign of total defeat. And then it smash cuts, it smash cuts again, and he's wearing just like a, a he, he's just civilian clothes again. He's dressed up, and he's got this box here, and he's like, "All right, I got one more idea, <laughs> like, dude." Okay, fine. I'm bringing out the magic cube. Yeah, it is glowing and breathing. Yeah, <laughs> and then and then it ends. So we have to stop talking about yeah. it, which is uh, spectacular. Um, I'm just going through like second by second of of this of this bit to look like. Can you even see if he's visibly breathing? As far as I can tell, the the entire torso is just completely static. Like there's no proof that it is alive at this point, and that you know that that comes into play in the next minute. <laughs> in this minute, where again, you could have had in the middle of this Silas, you could have just cut to the dude from Dawn of the Dead just saying, "When there's no more room in hell." <laughs> yeah. You know, like it totally fits. I I feel like we have to respect that and say that we'll continue talking about what is going to happen to this remnant of a person that is dying, that is doomed. What what is this glowy box and how did Silas get it? These are questions that we'll have to wait for the next minute. But until then, for myself and Steven, thank you for listening along with these um, these minutes in which the Justice League universe is born. Yeah, it's a historic moment. It is. I mean, the journey that the journey that came out of these clips. Uh, you want to talk about the whole Justice League journey? I mean, this is the start of something even bigger than we realized would happen at the time. <laughs> yeah, 
Uh, and again, invite everybody listening to let us know what you think about these minutes and what you thought about these minutes. And uh, I guess if your perception of them has changed at all over time too, please let us know on, on Twitter at BVS by the minute by giving us a five-star review in any podcast app of your choice. You can also support the podcast and get some bonus content from Steven and I by going to patreon.com slash Snyder minute. And speaking of uh, Dawn of the Dead, the reason what part of it why we're plugging that so much is we just put up our uh, Dawn of the Dead commentary. So if you're looking for bonus content, go uh, rewatch Dawn of the Dead with us, uh, giving some uh, thoughtful and introspective comments and the occasional joke throughout. Yeah, technically, uh, you want to talk about historic. The first criticism Zack Snyder ever received for trashing Metropolis <laughs> yes, is dropped by a Daily Planet employee, no less. Steve Lombard? Steve Lombard, yeah. So Zack Snyder was planning all of this for over a decade. <laughs> I mean, you want to talk about a maestro? When people say they're like, oh yeah, the sequence is shoved in there and if it feels so different from the rest of the movie, I'd be like, you should watch Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>